Hello and welcome to episode 357 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Ren, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. And a new Seattle Seahawk, which we will get to later. Sadly, this isn't episode 354, but we were close enough. We, I mean, we already highlighted it when we did do yeah, episode We highlighted the return before it happened. You knew. I didn't think it was happening, but we could just get into this toast right off the top. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail later, but Bobby Wagner is back with the Seattle Seahawks, and we can all pretend that one season with the Los Angeles Rams was just an April Fool's joke gone bad. There we go. <laughs> oh, man. As far as he's concerned, he only played two games. The two games against the Seahawks. He I got see. his revenge. He took his revenge I out. Mean, he's that's back. unfair to his season. He played no, quite he well in all the games. But it was just like, they didn't make the playoffs. Nothing else happened. He got his revenge on the Seahawks. He got to make a statement. And his statement was made. And then they brought him back. I think you're forgetting a third game that oh, occurred last season. yes. <laughs> on Christmas Day. <laughs> against a, a certain other member. Of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Well, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, so let's get started with this week's beer, which is the from our friends at Rubens Brews, the Petite Pro Prohibition Pre Prohibition Lager. Easy for me to say. This Pre Prohibition style lager is simultaneously crisp, light, and refreshing, while the favor is driven by Old World malted barley, all in a small 3.5% ABV package. Subtle notes of hay, sweet malt, and spicy notable hops. Let me just ask. They prohibited because of a 3.5% alcohol lager? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that probably wasn't the problem. <laughs> the 3.5% the, the lager. It was the other stuff? <laughs> it was the harder stuff. The hard, the hard liquor, that's what they prohibited for? In, in hindsight, maybe they should have just given people more of the 3.5% More lager. beer. I guess like it really makes like a shot in a beer much better. I don't know if people did shot in a beer pre-prohibition or whatever, but you take the shot and then you wash it down with a. I wonder when they did invent shot in a beer. <laughs> the invention of a shot in a beer. <laughs> what, a, what a moment that would have been. We should start a podcast about it <laughs> called <laughs> Shot in a Beer. <laughs> we already have enough podcasts, as it turns out. We'll see. We might have more later this week. Oh, but uh, I'm excited to try this though. Pre-prohibition lager. It's unlike anything I've ever heard. You know of. what it tastes like? Hmm. It tastes like beer. And it's quite good. It is crisp and refreshing. I agree with the marketing here. I love when beer tastes like beer. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah. I'm not even joking. Yeah, no. The best kind of beer is just beer that tastes like beer. I don't know if I go so far as to say it's the best, but it's a very good style of beer. Beer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> beer. It's like Pitchfork Reviews Music. <laughs> There, there was the beer that had just beer on the label, right? Oh, yeah. That no, was a thing. Yeah, I think that's still a thing. What It's called like light crushable beer or something. Huh. Uh, for some reason, I have Billy Beer in my head. As Billy Beer? I this. bet that was good. If we could go back in time and drink Billy I Beer. I don't think Billy Beer was good. I bet that motherfucker tasted like beer. I guarantee <laughs> it you. It probably did. Uh, okay, let's get to the rest of our toast, starting with Jordan Morris, who earned congratulations because he was named MLS Player of the Match Day after scoring a career-high four goals in Saturday's win at Sporting What Kansas is that, a City. golden sombrero? The, so golden sombrero is exclusively a derogatory term wow. for strikeouts in baseball. Okay. That's how you know the term. Okay. 
It, they happened to share Hat Trick, the three and the four, but I looked on Wikipedia and they did not indicate anything about what, what you refer to four goals in no the soccer matches. So it's a Jordan Morris from now on. It's a double brace. We could call it a Jordan Morris. It's a, it's a mean, Jordan Morris. I'm sure someone out there has given it a name, but not Golden Sombrero at the very least. It's a Jordan Morris is what it is. That's yeah. the name right now. And he just set the record. Did people do anything? Did they throw anything on the field? I feel like when you get in to Kansas the- City. Oh, it was on the road. I noticed that there were some hats tossed onto the the rink at Climate Pledge Arena when they still I forget who the that? visiting player was scored a hat trick against the Kraken. Oh, those Kraken fans would. I think it's more that there was a lot of rival fans. That's there. what I'm saying. It's like 60% fans of the other team at these Kraken games. Because people that in Seattle high. pretend that they like hockey. Look, they've got some hockey to like. Uh, next up here. Congrats to Madison Husky, who was named Pac-12 Player of the Week after there hitting we 400 with two home runs in the Huskies' sweep of Arizona. Well, Alana Johnson was named Pac-12 Freshman of the Week for her role in the series, going 5-for-9 with a pair of home runs. We'll talk more about that one later. Uh, next up, our update. Those stats are kind of better. Maybe there were more at-bats for Madison Husky. Well, not going to lie. We'll, we'll explain why Madison Husky was the Player of the Week okay. later. Uh, tournament pools update with a surprising Final Four, a pair of number nine seeds. In the final four, in the no women's one higher, bracket also. No. Oh, in this the, is in the men's bracket. Okay. No, no one higher than a four seed, or no, Texas is in there. So the two seed, a four seed, and two, two nines. Uh, no, Texas lost two, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a four and a five and two nines. That sounds right. San Diego State is a five. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, the outcome is already half determined. Jonathan two five three will at least share first place and will win outright if UConn wins on Saturday. P. Miller, 88, currently tied, but like nearly all of us in the pool, has no possible points for it. It was kind of incredible. So I was gloating on this podcast last week. And look, you know me. I'll take an L when it's time to take an L. That's what I'm about. <laughs> you can't be all takes if some of those takes aren't L's. As, as long as I haven't given a conflicting take. My take last week was, I'm great. And... It seemed like any team that I picked to win in the Sweet 16 intentionally lost after that. It was like one by one. Every, I had a perfect Elite Eight going into that week, and I think I ended up with one or maybe two teams. You got UConn, right? UConn, I think, might have been it. Yeah. It was kind of incredible. I know you didn't pick Gonzaga. It, it, is, it was an incredible L that week that I had. Where am I at? I'm still doing okay, right? Because uh, nobody else got any points. Uh, some people got some points. I didn't note you as being right at the very top. Uh, you're, you're fourth. Are we talking about Gonzaga right now? I mean, I don't know when else we're going to talk about it. I would like to give a toast. <laughs> oh, no. To the end of Drew Timmy's career <laughs> you know, without still, an NCAA tournament championship. Still got what a year a... of eligibility. Are you joking? No. How old is he? He's only been there four years. He's still got the COVID year if he wants it. He but... went home to his wife and three children? <laughs> He's been working at the mill all these years, went back home to his children, and then has another year of eligibility. He's only been there for four years, I promise you. Please, somebody get this man out of Spokane for his own sake. (laughs) Well, a toast again to Gonzaga losing in one of the, was it one of the worst losses of all time? I think I heard. One of the worst losses of all time? No, I don't think Any it was that. Any sport, actually? <laughs> yeah, I don't think, that, don't think that checks out. Any situation. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, like, do you think it was better for Gonzaga ultimately to have beaten UCLA on that Julian Strother game winner to have suffered 
that ignominious defeat as opposed to if they had just lost a hard-fought game to UCLA? That's a really great question. And I think the answer is yes. It's always nice. I think people like myself, I did it negatively. I looked around and I said, this is kind of Gonzaga's tournament to win when they were going into their Elite Eight matchup, right? I said it was UConn's tournament to win. But... They do have the number one player in the draft projections. They were, Gonzaga was, the, I think, the highest tied for the highest seed remaining at that point. And, uh, Texas was two. Gonzaga was three. But you kind of looked at it and you were like, Gonzaga, they just, they just upset UCLA. Things are looking kind of good for them. And I guarantee you the people of Spokane who've moved to Seattle, Washington now, because <laughs> nobody lives in Spokane. Uh, many people live in Spokane. But I many gar- Gonzaga graduates also live in Seattle. Guarantee you out. every single person who went to Gonzaga and then immediately moved from Spokane, Washington. Uh, they had it in the back of their minds. They were kind of like, wow, we might sneak into this year. And then their hopes were crushed. And that's where the good stuff comes. <laughs> So it's it's almost like it's more painful. I wish the Huskies in 2000, what was the year? Six? Would have just been a two seed. No, the year that that we lost. Just like, give us a two seed, right? They know. We didn't even probably deserve a two seed, but a two seed would have been appropriate. Yes. Just give us a two seed. It would have been fine. Well, the real concern about getting a one seed was being the first one to lose. And now the good news is that's off the table. The Huskies get a one seed. Someone had. Some some many decades into the yeah, future. I don't, think, I don't think that's anything we <laughs> well, have to worry about. We'll get into Husky Mets basketball too. It's not not looking promising for that one seed next year. And uh, the win make the NCAA tournament uh, must year for Mike Hopkins on the women's side. Adam Bartz currently leads, but needs Iowa to beat South Carolina to stay ahead of the next six people in the standings, myself included, who all have South Carolina winning the title. All right. So, uh, do you want to talk about the the women's regional? How was Here? the win? I saw the tweets. I I wasn't able to watch, but it seemed like it was one of the most exciting women's college basketball games of all time. I mean, Caitlin Clark's performance, a historic 41-point triple-double. There had never been a 40-point triple-double in the NCAA tournament, men's or women's, before Sunday night. And the style with which she did it. So one of the cool things that happened is, even though there were no teams from remotely near Seattle, Washington, of the eight teams that were here, Colorado was the closest team by far. But Iowa fans came out in full force. Really? Like, it, you know, they didn't have the entire arena open, but they pretty much filled what they did have open. And Caitlin Clark is like, during the course of the game, hyping up the crowd to get on their feet. As if it's a home game. That's awesome. And like I've seen that in the NCAA tournament, but never this far away from the campus of the school. This wasn't like Oregon playing in Portland or even Gonzaga playing in Portland. So that was a lot of fun, her kind of showmanship. And now the Iowa faces South Carolina in that semifinal on Friday, and that is going to be a treat. Virginia Tech was a team I didn't know anything about until they came here. Like I'd seen some tweets about what they were doing. They won the ACC tournament. Uh, have now won 15 in a row, got a number one seed. But they were the number one seed in a bracket that included UConn as the two seed, Tennessee as the four seed. So suffice it to say that Virginia Tech did not get as much attention Uh as those teams, both of whom ended up losing on Saturday in the regional semifinals. Uh, Ohio State kind of crushed UConn, and Virginia Tech comfortably beat Tennessee. So then in the final, Virginia Tech pulled away in the second half and uh, also played a really fun style. And there weren't as many Virginia Tech fans, but they were quite loud. Cam Chancellor was in the house. There we go. Had to walk by him to get to my seat. So Mm -hmm. that was fun. Uh, And anyway, it was just altogether a great weekend. It was the... uh, 
the I believe it's the highest attended. It was at least much higher attendance than last year's regional. They surpassed that by like ten thousand. Wow! This year between the two in Greenville, South Carolina, and here in Seattle. Okay. So a strong first year for this experiment of having the two regionals in the same spot. Okay. It was a lot of games. A lot yeah, of games. You were in a lot of Six athletes. in four days. So. Uh, also, the, lastly, this week we are remembering. Remo Boracchini of Boracchini's Bakery, who passed away last week at age 92. According to the Seattle Times, Boracchini took over the bakery from his parents, who opened it in 1921. He took it over in 1965 and ran at the bulk of its 99 years of operation on Rainier Avenue in what was once Seattle's garlic culture neighborhood, named for the concentration of Italian-Americans. We talked about Boracchini's when they closed in 2021 and, like, what an important role they played in in like our family's life. Literally, literally the wedding cake at our grandparents' wedding Correct. in 1948. Even before Rebo took over. And my wedding in... You were married in 2009. 2009. That's good that I know that and you should know that. Katie's in 2010. 11. <laughs> I remember being the next year. It was nope. two years later. Every, uh, our, our, family, our cousins got married every two years. <laughs> Including me as one of the cousins. Yes. Uh, it was awesome to go there. I mean, it's it's definitely, obviously, it was 92, lived a long life. Yeah. Right? Sad that he had to pass away. Knowing what became of Borakini's, it would have been awesome if it would have still been there. Um, and we're still... And now the building literally is not there after a fire last year. Yeah, if we're still in business and he were able to pass it down onto his children. Unfortunately, that's kind of sign of the times with some of these long-lasting uh, institutions of the Seattle area. But... But it feels like kind of the end of an era. I mean, I... I can't remember if that was back in 2022 or was earlier this year, but Ardo Berto and now Remo Baracchini, like two businesses who were down the street from each other from a dating back to a period where Seattle's demographics were very different than they were, they are now. And, uh, it certainly a, a, a end of an era. You're saying we're the last Italians left. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. There's you, be, me and Matt Festa. <laughs> the, there's also the Sally brothers, <laughs> the Sally brothers and one more Italian in Seattle. That'll be named later. Hagerty. You forgot Hagerty? I said one more Italian oh, in Seattle that'll okay. be later. I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing. Oh, with that, should we get to our search for Seattle's best donuts? Because this was the last week of our donut regular season. Is it really? Our, our donut pool play. <laughs> wow, okay. Good God. Or where are we starting here? Are we starting with flower box or not flower box? I guess we're starting with not flower box. Let's talk first about the donut lab. We're gonna go in alphabetical order. The three that we went to this week. Also a bonus review. Uh I just to say I did wanted to check out Daily Dozens in Pike Place Market. Okay, so I went there on Monday when Pike Place was full of tourists. Had to dodge them left and right. People were throwing fish at me. Not actually. (laughs) That's what they do to the Italians left in the city. (laughs) No, no, like they're throwing the fish like to catch it, not not angrily. Uh, It's this place is. I I mean, Rima Borghini is rolling in his grave. You know, I've walked by this place. Daily Dozens clearly like. Are they mini donuts? They're little donuts. Mini donuts. Okay, I've had this from back in the day. They've been there forever, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'd never had it. So I got the assorted half dozen, which comes with cinnamon, uh, powdered sugar, and then sprinkles. And I thought the sprinkles were the best of the group. I got to say, it would have been better if they were a little warmer. Okay, they weren't fresh. They were not right out of the donut making machine, which is, is right there front and center. What is the... Oh, my God. 
I wanted to remember this perfectly. Donuts in Portland. Little mini donuts in Portland. I don't remember the name of it either. I'm going to find that in a second. But a, a story this, about what so I this assume, is a thing, by the way. There's there's other mini donut locations that came up looking for locations in the search that we, alas, were not able to get to. There's a truck that's in the Renton area that does it where they, they like load them up with different things. It's good. It's good. I, I don't... They're so contingent on anything that's put on them. I believe Hot Revolution Donuts is the truck. Okay, so that, the one that's down here. Yeah, correct. There's also Mini the Donut in Des Moines. But when we were children, we went to the Pike Place Market with Jan and got what I assume is still the same Daily Dozen. I remember they were Mini Donuts. Went there, had them. I'm Was talking like part of this? I don't remember this at all. Second or third grade, something okay. like that. Had those donuts, I was like, these are the best donuts I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> I swear to God. You were I like, was my search for Seattle's best donut is I, over. Be- before, before I even knew it, I was searching for Seattle's best donut. Went on a field trip. This would have been third grade. I think Mr. Greif was my teacher. So, shouts to Mr. Greif forever. A lot, of, a lot of Valley View references today in the Colton Cast world. Field trip the to Cast Pike Cinematic Place Universe. Market. Which is, it's a confusing place, Pike Place Market, right? <laughs> for like a small child? Well, especially for a small child, but there's a lot of different like alleys and like there's three different levels. There's a lot of places to go. Yeah. On my field trip, I went looking for these donuts. I told everybody in the class, every single person. And I was like, these are the best donuts in all of Seattle. We have to have them. Mr. Greif is with me on the search. Literally could not find. <laughs> I mean, it's the right donuts. there at the entrance, basically. I don't know. I, was, I mean, I, I have no idea if it was the same or whatever. I was in third fucking grade. This was a long time ago. I'm now quite old. And you still don't know geography? I have children that are... I have only one child older than third grade. But... Children taking field trips to Taco time? <laughs> uh, so I could not find those donuts. But I remember at the time thinking that the, they were the best donuts in all of Seattle. Well, there you go. Uh, I, I do think they are currently the best donuts in all of Seattle. This was, of course, pre-revolution. So Pips is the donuts in Pips. Portland. Yes, and I, I had them. They were pretty good. I had them like six hours after you got them, after you oh, drove them yeah. back from Portland. I'm going to bring up Pips in a little bit here. Okay. Pips is going to come up later. All right. Well, of the ones we're reviewing here, let's start with the Donut Lab, uh, a sort of pop-up. It's basically operated out of the home of owner Craig Yamada, who the website describes, the attributes this to his fondness for malasadas that they had while on vacation in Hawaii, describing Donut Lab as, quote, a taste of the islands back home. Since all three of this week's donuts are sort of in the malasada tradition, we need to talk about them for a second. Absolutely. Uh, the malasadas originate from Portugal, where they were just rounded dough with cinnamon or granulated sugar on the outside, but not filled. Okay. So then Portuguese immigrants brought these to Hawaii, and in Hawaii, they started the tradition of filling them with custards or creams, often tropical Copia, flavors. things like that. Yeah, so uh, that's the kind of flavors that you get at the Donut Lab. The flavors rotate weekly, but we I had uh, guava and Nutella. What did you have? I had also guava, uh, and then, oh my God, what was the one called? Well, there was like a... a Toasted, toasted banana, maybe. No, that that was, that was a the good other lazy. location. This was it was like a plant of some kind. Oh, right? pandan. But yeah, pandan. You had pandan, and the pandan. I I really like weird flavors. The pandan might have been slightly too strange of a flavor for me, but I I still I will always choose like the most off flavor that I can choose. <laughs> 
from something. So <laughs> I'm happy that I tried flavor. it. But I, I'm not using that as like the the judge of these. I've also had Donut Lab multiple times. It's not that far from my house. I love going to somebody's house to pick up food. It's in Renton. We should specify. I don't think I mentioned that. What did you think, though? Because you you've had them less than I have. I've had them twice. I, th- I you know I had them at least once when you picked them up. I think they're pretty faithful malasadas. They're they're similar to you can also get malasadas. They, they wouldn't quite qualify for Seattle's best donut, but uh, at Marination, uh, there are various locations. And one of the things I think that stands out about like the very best filled donuts is that every bite you're getting some of the filling. And I think with like very traditional malasadas, that's not the case usually. The filling is kind of more on one half of it than the other, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And you're getting bites that are strictly dough and sugar. And like those are not bad. Again, this was the whole thing in Portugal. They made the whole they made the whole plane uh-huh. out of just dough and sugar. But when you know that the the cream filling exists, you want that in every bite. And you felt like that wasn't the case? I did. They're warm. See, that's the thing is when you have them when they're really warm and gooey right away. Ooh. He handed them to me and he was like, eat them in the car. And that's the kind of advice that I love to get. That is good advice. Right. So I had the uh, guava one first. It wasn't like 100% packed because it's warm, right? It almost like it, it, it warms up the, the filling a little bit. Makes it wet dough, wet bread. I, I thought it was pretty excellent. As far as like the guava flavoring, I thought was great. Yeah. The place where the warm parts met it, I thought were really good. Very, very soft. I was pretty much all about it. The pandan, on the other hand, so I think the gel, more jelly style. Did you have one that was jelly and I one did, that was pudding? I had the guava. And the Nutella was the other one I had. Okay, so you did. Because to me, the pandan filled up every single bite. Interesting. So, I mean, I think these are very good. Like To me, they're totally competitive with general porpoise. Let's so. talk about the next donuts. All right, next up. The pre-tournament favorites here? This was... No, no, no. We're talking Good Lazy. Let's do Good Lazy next, and let's do Flower Box last. I wanted to do Flower Box next and Good Lazy last for a reason. I'm struck right now. I mean, I... Not, not as much the reason as you think I'm saying it, but okay. Okay. So Flower Box, by far Seattle's most hyped donuts, without question. Uh, Pamela Vuong began making brioche donuts as a student at UW where she studied business and began serving them at pop-ups in 2017 before opening up her brick-and-mortar location in Columbia City in October 2020 to immediate acclaim, rapid sellouts for the online pre-orders they did at first. So we've had these once previously. In March 2021, when the famous cousin Katie, to her immense credit, waited for some of the leftovers at the end of the day alongside Jake One, who uh-huh. was also there that day. I'd forgotten the same day? Until uh, I saw that in the notes that Katie was like, uh, I think I saw Jake one. And then later that day, we saw it on Instagram that he had had, in fact had them. Uh, This was back when they still featured creme brulee topping on that, which I'm not sure they're doing. They always do creme brulee. I don't think they always did it because I went just going through the Instagram. Okay. But they definitely did it on a regular basis. It was not creme brulee. It was not one of the options. I'm going to tell you straight up, I did not need creme brulee on these. In fact, I prefer it without. The creme, oh, the creme brulee was like chef's kiss. Uh, so I, don't, mo- I don't need the crunch on the outside. So they moved from pre-orders to a first-come, first-served model Thursday through Sunday, producing lines out the door, down the street. I showed up at 9.40 a.m. last Thursday before the 10 a.m. opening. There was already probably about 40 people, 35 to 40 people in line in front of me. Uh, 
it was about a 35 minute wait, 30 minute wait uh, to 35 after they opened uh, until I got the donuts about 10.35. And the line still looked to be about 30 minutes plus when we left. Now, it does apparently die down a little after that. We had the Columbia City listener mention that uh, he walks over, you know, around noon and just doesn't wait in line at all. So that's a possibility if you're not, like, committed to I have to have my pick of donuts. And let me tell you, the thing here is it's 100% worth the wait, <laughs> which I'm sure is even longer when it's a nicer day because it was... You know, it rained a little bit on us in line, and it was a Thursday rather than a weekend. But I don't think there's any question in my mind this is Seattle's best donut. Literally, there's there's not a competition for Seattle's best donut here. Like, okay, so the ones that they had, you run through the flavors really quick. So the ones that we had were Fruity Pebbles, the Hokey Pokey, which was house-made honeycomb candy oh folded into whipped sweep cream, so filling topped good. with a chunk of honeycomb. Oh, and salted beer caramel made with a Georgetown IPA. They did not specify which Georgetown IPA. Literally, the only thing to debate is which of these donuts is the best of Seattle's best donut. We'll, we'll get to the debate in a second. Because it's not about the quality. These are, the, again, there's no competition, right? We can just end the search. These are Seattle's best donuts. That's it. I literally bit into, I was like, we each had three of them. We had each of the different kinds of donuts. And then pistachio, which yeah, I'm allergic to. Yeah, we did not do that one. So I, I had the honeycomb first. I ate that donut in like two seconds. I was like shoving it into my oh, mouth. You got to savor it. I was like that. cocaine bear. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I could have snorted those donuts, I would have. It's a bear on brioche donuts. <laughs> I, and then I was just like, like when you're playing pop a shot, you're not supposed to look at the balls, right? You reach your one, your left, your shoot with your right hand, grab with your left hand. That's what I did with these donuts. I didn't. I finished the donut and then I grabbed the fruity pebbles donut and then I ate that literally as fast as I ate the previous one. And then when that was done, I grabbed the salted beer caramel donut and I ate that even faster. I'm literally finding places in my mouth to shove more donut <laughs> because it needed to get in there faster. The debate that we should be having is not whether this is Seattle's best donut. We should be debating about whether this is Seattle's best food, excluding nothing. I think. That is fair, and <laughs> someday we're going to have a tournament of champions. What, what was your ranking of the three? Because I was surprised by my number one. My number one was the honeycomb, my number same. two was the fruity pebbles, and my number three was the salted beer. I think I'm in the same order, yeah. I mean, I later in the day, Mrs. Fantasy, I brought her two. She had one of the honeycomb and one of the salted beer caramel, and she ate the honeycomb. And I think she was kind of like, it's fine. And I was just like, I filed papers for divorce, and... <laughs> Later that night, as, as we were, differences. We were uh, agreeing to terms, separating our <laughs> items and our children in half. She was like, I'm not, I'm not going to eat the salted beer caramel donut. And I ran downstairs. <laughs> this was like 11 p.m. When she was like, I'm not going to have it. I, it was like out of there. I'm using a lot of metaphors here. But right, it was like, it was like my pants were still upstairs when I ran downstairs because like, I ran out of them that fast. <laughs> And I ate it, again, as fast as I could. I'm just like, when you mention the time to show up that you don't have to wait in line, I'm like, what am I doing on Thursday at 12 p.m.? <laughs> I literally have other donut plans on Thursday at 12 p.m. It's as one does. And, and this is no offense to any other donuts. It's just the first bite that we had, It has it's perfect. The outside has that little bit of just like a, a little bite to it. Not, not a crunch. It's still soft. 
but it's it's a little bit it's just cooked soft on the inside and all that you taste is that's what really is the separating factor is the filling how like sweet and rich each of the fillings were and how completely filled oh my god i mean the fruity pebbles one i was like there's no way that a fruity pebbles malasada style donut is good if we're being honest i was like this should not be this good oh interesting i thought that was my that was my pre-eating number one i i just i was like this cannot be as good as it is i truly do not know we need scientists to figure out how good the filling is on these donuts we should be exploring whether this is the nation's best food I mean, that's my thought. Is like, if we're doing a, this is the nation's best donut, there is no question to me that we are immediately submitting the flower box is Seattle's nominee. But I don't know if that's what our search for Seattle's best donuts is. Because I feel like if you're going to be Seattle's best donuts, it can't be something that is only available four days a week for just the mornings and that I have to wait in line for a long period of time to assure that I'm going to get are we searching for second place? Is that what you're telling me? I'm telling you that there's a there might be a difference between Seattle's best donut and Seattle's best donuts in the same way that we didn't consider like the Palace Kitchen burger is Seattle's best burger because that's a different thing than Seattle's best burger from that standpoint. But then are we something like General Porpoise you can go and wait in line and get it or whatever. Good lazy donuts. You have to message them on Instagram. It's a different. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. General, but general porpoise, you can go at a variety of times throughout the day. Also, it's not there a forty minutes. Donuts run. aren't as good. I don't. That's why that. you can go anytime. But the other factor, yeah, no. Look again, worth the wait. And to all of you motherfuckers on Yelp, okay. Google reviews, <laughs> rating this place a three stars. I, I had to wait in line too long. Why doesn't she work more hours? Like, bro, it's not your life. Yeah, fuck you, dog. You Why do you want to mess up these donuts? You. These donuts are perfect. Do not mess with what you're doing exactly. at if there all. If second location of Flower Box, I would be furious about it. If I mean, I would be furious. If again, the quality again, of these donuts else... goes down even one slight bit because Pamela Fong is more distracted by something that is not making these donuts four days a week. That's a reality of the situation. Well, we're not going to that out. Waiting in line is a feature of what you're about to eat, not a detriment. Every single person who's complained about that, your life isn't that important, dog, or guess what? Don't eat the donuts. Right? Nobody is asking you to. No one but is if, forcing you to. If these donuts are not good enough to you to wait in line. Don't wait in line. Don't wait in Problem line. Problem solved. But the other element of it is they are also only one style of donut. And I feel like Seattle's best donuts... I need to have the option if I'm a person that likes a maple bar to get that. Or if I'm a person that likes, you know, a ring donut to get I mean, that. Like if you take Dojoy, most of the donuts at Dojoy are basically the same donut with different toppings. Again, but not all of them. It's not like... There needs to be some variety. You're like the fucking, like, you're all of a sudden you're the fritter lobby. Like, I... I'm not saying personally, because you want me, cake donuts there? You need to see a cake donut and not eat it. <laughs> I'd like to be able to reject. I want to be in the presence of cake donuts. I'd like to be able to reject a cake donut <laughs> just to know that I can't. Uh, these are, like, filled donuts are my number one, excluding nobody. So it is, to me, a perfect marriage of the quality of the donut and the style of the donut. But I'm aware that for not for everyone out there is that the case. And one of the biggest, the other thing I want to say about You're this. You're like Ayn Rand. You need to be able to, like... <laughs> There can't be a perfect society, a perfect donut, without also knowing that a cake donut exists. It's the most troubling thing that 
I've heard on this podcast that's been said to me on this podcast <laughs> at any point. I I do think there's also an element of when we t- name something Seattle's best. Obviously, it's subjective to us, and sometimes you pick the wrong one. And oh even my god! Though, sometimes you pick the wrong one. Sometimes you literally pick a chicken sandwich when we're searching for Seattle's best sandwich. The, Look, we both have L's. We both have L's. History on the has judged me kindly. You know where I went the other day? Where's that? Literally, to, the restaurant that you picked basically doesn't even exist anymore. No, the chicken sandwich places were. Are, they, is a chicken sandwich is not a sandwich. This is a dumb argument. Hot dogs or hot dog sandwiches? I don't know. I just know that they're a dollar fifty at Costco, and there that will never change. I, I, but I went. It to would the, be like if I we picked something that wasn't a donut. Like if we picked a Danish <laughs> as Seattle's best donut. That is what picking a chicken sandwich is. The like. word sandwich Everybody, is literally in. It chicken doesn't sandwich. matter. In the United States, we look this up. Everywhere else in the world does not call chicken sandwiches sandwiches. Fine. Fine. No one's debating the quality of the Mono chicken sandwich. No, it's good, but we should have it in a different... You literally ruined another category by picking it. Well, that was going to win. There was not going to be much debate on that one. Tass is Seattle's best sandwich, still to this day. Went to the other coast yesterday. For the first time ever in my life... I did not order the 12 inch Raging Cajun. <laughs> I only had the standard or 16 inch. Say, I thought you were going to say that you ordered something else. Oh, no. I did the first time I went there and never again. And if, it was like, what, why are people hyped about the other coast? Let me ask you a question. If some person, this is sandwich related, if somebody said to you, they were like, hey, do you want to meet up? Oh, let's go get sandwiches. In your head, are you saying, would you propose Mahono? I would throw it out there, yeah. If somebody said we are going, I want sandwiches, you would be like, let's go to a chicken place. All right, that's a fair position. You would not throw it out there. You allowed Maono to be part of it in the first place, so you're just upset (sighs) after it won. I mean, I still, it's not even, even if it is, even if a chicken sandwich is a sandwich, it is still worse than Tats. A, call me when a Maono chicken sandwich has Russian dressing. Well, I mean, that would be great. I'm not, not going to dispute that. Every, almost everything would be better with Russian dressing. I agree. <laughs> well, sandwich, certainly. Maybe Russian dressing flower box? <laughs> you know what? I would trust Pamela of Wong to pull Oh, it my off. God. Okay, anyway. They, I mean, they, everyone's doing the everything bagel donut now. That's so That's trendy. like a big thing. I saw it on their Instagram. It was at... Who else? Well, half and half has done it in the past. Okay. And it was at... Dojo and it was at Raised Donuts when we went oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, so everyone is doing that now. It's like the s'mores cookie of well, donuts. People just eat bagels. Unclear to me. Fair That's enough. not also not my own. Okay, Anyways. so what you're saying is Flower Box is too good to be part of the competition. That's really what you're telling me. I think we we award it, like I talked about this with the scoring race in the NBA over the weekend in my mailbag. Uh-huh. We don't necessarily need to pick between points per game and total points to be the scoring champion. Both are equally valid and interesting in their own right. <laughs> and Flower Box is Seattle's best donut, but something else is Seattle's best donuts. Okay. So we didn't even mention Pelicast Live April twenty first. It's sold out. Just, who cares? Uh, but if you want to come, DM us. We've already added some people to the guest list. Literally, the person we'll see what has, we can do. The person has spoken. We'll see what we can do. Literally, we're making the guest list. <laughs> we'll talk to a guy. Uh, uh, if Danny Kelly's list isn't too big, uh, <laughs> Danny's list is perfectly appropriately fine. I guess it could only be described as an entourage, but. <laughs> Um, we should try to video on Mina at some point. 
<laughs> Definitely have Danny FaceTime Mina. Wow, that's actually kind of genius. We should figure that out. Just let's have him do it and see if she answers. <laughs> yes. Okay. See how good friends they really are. Okay. Uh, wow, she would be so upset to be in front of, uh, like, blindsided by a sold-out Palantacast Live April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. Uh, I like that you're still doing the pitch, even though it is sold out. So when we are there, April 21st, Belltown Yacht Club, awarding Seattle's best donuts, plural now. <laughs> yes. No, no, it's always been <laughs> plural. I've always pluralized. It said it. no Kevin's allowed. <laughs> so we're just going to acknowledge at that we could put up there Seattle's best donut singular flower is box. flower box. The flower box, yeah. Seattle's best donuts is still in competition. It seems to me like we're reframing this whole competition because flower box is too good. It's not just because of that. Because now let's talk about the second part of this equation. <laughs> is there a second part of the equation? Yeah. Good lazy donuts. So from their Instagram, looks like they started operating in July 2022. And these donuts look pretty identical to the flower box. I, I was actually say. thinking that. I don't, I don't know the person who runs good lazy donuts, what their name is. But I was like, she's been to flower box before. It, it seems so. So uh, they operate... In a similar fashion to Donut Lab in Maple Valley, they're also at the Maple Valley Farmer's Market. Now, for a lot of people, it probably is less time to wait in line for the flower box than it is to drive to Maple Valley and back. That actually could be true. But if you're having, a, if your oldest child plays baseball in a Ravensdale every week, <laughs> there we go. weekend, that's not the case. It's you were actually able to pick, shockingly convenient for me. You were able to pick these up last weekend, and you should continue picking them up because... Well, they're going on a hiatus. They are going on a brief hiatus. Uh, do you have anything to say about the pickup process for people who aren't familiar with it? Uh, they were ordered on Instagram. Yes. D- DM'd on Instagram what we wanted. There's no like minimum or anything like that. And paid via Venmo. And then uh, I had to knock on the door. And then a box was <laughs> in. I mean, it's almost identical to... Donut Lab. To Donut Lab. Yeah. Right. But like, there's a reason we're doing all three of these the same week. Besides for the fact that we ran out of time and needed to do all of them, you set a time and then they're there, nice and fresh for you. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of the perfect way to order donuts, I think. But I do accept that Maple Valley is pretty far out for being Seattle's best donuts. But also, if we're having a conversation that Flower Box doesn't count because it's only one type of donut. No, I agree that Good Lazy doesn't qualify for the same reason. These are also we're, only one we're, type of donut. we're also choosing as Seattle's best filled donut. Okay, that's the other element that we're choosing here. And again, that's flower box. It's what do you mean? Box. I don't. But, but if, what I will say to you is, so my opinion. So we had uh, from last week's flavors. I had the chocolate pudding, uh, as well as the mascarpone cream and sweet roasted soybean powder. That's injolmi. Uh, I'm not a, a word I'm not familiar with. Uh, and you had the Earl Grey and the roasted banana. Mm-hmm. I thought if Firebox is a 10, these were like a 9.8. They were pretty fucking good. They're I do really good. I, I do have to say, I, I really think these were like, it, it was extraordinarily convenient for me to get them. Yes. But it would have been worth the trip. Probably that's a type of rice cake. Interesting. Korean rice cake. Uh That's kind of it. Like, yeah, I don't so know. like if I they're convenient for you or you happen there, to be out there, you should definitely try this. There is an extra, like, I'm not even going to say 2%, right? There's an extra, like, 15% of what Flower Box does right 
and why the flavor is just like it explodes in your mouth, right? These didn't quite get there, but I'm talking the standards we were holding them to are literally what I described as the best food in Seattle. Not the best donut in Seattle, the best food. Right, which, so, by the way, eventually, Pelton Cast Food Tournament of Champions. I don't know when we're going to do it, but someday. The bracket of brackets. I think good lazy donuts, though, if they were eligible or whatever, I think they would be solidly oh, in the bracket. Comfortably in the bracket, for sure. Like, I mean, I would choose this over quite a few other donuts. I think might even be my number two. Wow. I, again, I feel that strongly about this style of donut, and I, I think they're quite good. It's a great style of donut. So what are we what are we going to do from here? So I have a proposal for you. Wow. You know I only like indecent proposals. <laughs> <laughs> we... Just go, go back, take the decent one, throw that in the garbage. I think we Come should... back when it's indecent. We should continue, much like this week turned into our unofficial search for Seattle's best film donut. Do some more, like similar comparisons soul searching no do some more similar comparisons before deciding what's in the finals and so here's my proposal for you okay that we do Chuck's versus King Donuts yes which we have already concluded Seattle's two best kind of old school style donut locations then do raised donuts and cake versus half and half which was raised on its cake. Those are the two that Those we already did. The two that we already did, went to back to back and had different opinions about, so we need someone to split the tie. Okay, so you were, I was half and half and you were raised. Correct. Okay. And then the last one then would be Top Pot versus Dojoy. Unless you feel like both of those should be in the final. In the final? Yes. I think you're forgetting one. No, Ninth and Hennepin already advanced. Well, Nathan Hennepin's in. Oh, because there's nothing else that's on their corner except for maybe Flower Box. What about the donuts in Burien? I wanted to go back there. Uh, the donuts in White Center? Yeah. Good Day Donuts? Good Day. I mean, we could what do if... that as White Center's best donuts. Or White Center slash West Seattle. Delridge's best donuts? What if we Del... move Dojoy forward? What if we push Dojoy, we give them the Nathan Hennepin treatment, we move them on to the next round, and we do top pot versus top pot versus good day. Good day. I'm okay with that. Okay. So, it so what are us, the competitors? It could give us a lot of donuts in the final. <laughs> oh, so we're doing like a multiple, like this isn't one V one. This is unless we do two of these matchups in the same week. Otherwise we'll run out of this time. This is the craziest bracket we've ever done. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Okay, so you can't fill it out like an NCAA tournament bracket. <laughs> no. It's got all sorts of contingencies. No, literally somebody already won. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's already a champion before we've even reached the bracket stage. So okay, go, go through this again. Already to the final, we were talking. They are going to compete. Nathan had a pin. They're they're in. They're April twenty first. Belltown Yacht Club. They are being considered for champion. I think so. Okay. And you you want to do JoJoy same thing? Also because I think JoJoy probably will be in the building. Yeah. I, I think Doji will be represented as far as you know what to do at Pelton Cast Live. Come hungry. Mentioned that a lot of times. I think we'll have Doji in the building. So Randy it, mentioned it, it several be, times. It would be nice, Randy. Uh, so again, the All other ones that would four be... talking taco time co-hosts. It's a beautiful phrase. Together. Also a jinx. For the first time in history. So the other ones that would be advanced here are Chucks versus King Donuts. Okay. That's one. Raised Donuts and Cakes versus Half and Half. That's two. Wow, we're putting one of those in the final. 
I don't know if necessarily one of those has to be in the final. Can we can we review them and determine that neither is going? The other possibility is that yeah, we could do the winner of that advances to face Top okay. Pot or something like that. Okay, fair enough. And we're just already putting Top Pot through. Okay. Well, no, it's like a laddered thing. <laughs> They're in the play-in. Top Pot is in the first round of the playoffs. Dojoy and, and Nathan Hennepin are coming. It's like the West Coast Conference tournament. But I also want to do the the Good Day Donuts. I want to go back to Good You're Day doing Donuts. You're doing Top, or you were doing Top Pot versus Good Day? That's yeah. right. All right, well, we'll continue to think about this. But those are the those are the competitors. Those are the ones that are advancing. Half and half versus raised. Yeah. What if we do half and half versus raised versus good day winner of those three advances to face top pot i'm i'm okay with that that's okay. now, now that's not too many donuts i think we're really we are really one week. versus what hmm? that's it those three versus top pot winner of that that four donuts advances to the final to face dojoy and ninth and hennepin correct so three donuts will be in the final yes i think we can do that and also then we'll so general have... porpoise we're just that is not even well, they, they weren't Seattle's best filled donuts, so... I mean, the reality is, we, if they only do one style of donut, and they are confidently worse <laughs> than Flower Box, what are we doing here? And they're $43 per donut. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we're paying Manhattan prices. And so we're going to have a few different designations, obviously. Best filled donuts and best donut has already been awarded to the Flower Box. We're still looking to hand out Seattle's best old school donuts. Be- best donuts. Not old school. No, no. To Chucks and Ki- Chucks versus okay, King. Okay, so whoever is... wins that will best win best old school donut. Correct. And they have a chance to be Seattle's best donuts. You're saying that they have no chance to go to the final. I think they're in their own separate category. Can they? Can they at least compete? I mean, it, like, okay, maybe they go into the raised donuts and half and half. <laughs> We're going to have some and person then... <laughs> be like, okay, you're going to have to drive to Renton. You're going to have to drive to Renton, <laughs> downtown, two different, Capitol Hill, the Central District, and West Seattle White Center. That's a lot of traveling for donuts. Not for me, but for a normal person, yes. I drove a lot of places for donuts last week to pick them up from you. That sounds great. It was. <laughs> We talked about donuts for like 45 minutes. We'll have to draw out a bracket here and put <laughs> it online. How are you going to draw this okay, bracket? We'll, we'll, it's going to look like the fucking Charlie meme from... <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's what it's going to look like. I think there's a way we can do it. Should we get into sports? Because it's time for the return of your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. I think back to that smoky October day when the Mariners' season tragically ended. But it didn't feel like an ending. We knew it was just the beginning of something greater than any of us. While the Mariners of it, as a team may be the Seattle sports figure of the year 2022, 2023 is the year that it finally comes together. This week, we'll finally pick up what I've been waiting for for every single second since that day. Christmas morning, deep down, I was thinking about Teoscar Hernandez. As we counted down to midnight on New Year's Eve, I was thinking about Luis Castillo. When I celebrated my child's sixth birthday, in the back of my mind, there was Colton Wong. I've mentioned that my expectations for Jared Kelenic have increased throughout the spring training from hitting 400 
to never getting it out all season to having a TikTok account solely dedicated to stats of his, which seem fake, to finally landing at hitting a home run in every single (laughs) at-bat. Sorry, plate appearance. Or this rotation... You think they're not going to intentionally walk him if he's hitting a home run every (laughs) at-bat? Or this rotation that has five aces now that Marco Gonzalez is in the best shape of his life. Or that I've looked at the roster and I see literally no holes. I'm not even joking. But folks... not. Aside from that, I said this in earnest, that there were no holes on the roster. You brought up Cooper Hummels. <laughs> he was the first place I that, started. That was the only hole. <laughs> Aside from that, the one joy I've been waiting for that we didn't get to see for about a month prior to that smoky day is seeing the most winning player in baseball play again. Sam fucking Haggerty! Big Ham Swaggerty, he's back! He's healthy! He even avoided the Italian WBC roster just to focus on this Mariners season. Think of all the in-dugout espresso he missed out on. And Ichiro, he's coming for you. (laughs) Not for the Mariners' all-time best winning percentage. Nope. This year, he's going to be... The one inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame this August. The first time that's ever happened to an active player by my records. Hang the fucking banner. I cannot wait for Thursday. Build the statue. I'm so ready for baseball. So you saw as I tweeted about I'm sweating. I'm so excited about baseball. Speaking of sandwiches, they have a ham swaggerty ham sandwich. Available this year at T-Mobile Park. That's at T-Mobile Park. Yes. The ham swaggerty. Hope they don't trade him. <laughs> <laughs> Seems unlikely, but you know, I still have that Desmond Mason art set that we never gave out. <laughs> I actually don't it's have it. Never given out. I th- or I or was it the Sluber Duck? I think it was the art set that was supposed to be given out you know like, right after got traded. Ray Allen, I'm good. True. <laughs> Ray Allen could hit baseball. Uh, so we're here. Thursday. We are here. This is it. Children's baseball season starts this weekend for me. Wow. For the, the first tournament of the year. Literally, I have been going to children's baseball practices for the offseason, which started in August. I've been going to children's baseball practices. Sometimes doing the un- informal practices yourself back in August. August. September. October. November. December. January. February. And March. Almost a full MLS regular season. Children have been playing baseball, practicing two to three times a week during all of these times, and are finally playing a tournament. And I've got some news for you. The rankings of Washington State high school baseball teams were released this week. Okay. And the school that I'm supposed to go to, Kent Ridge High School, my children, not on the list. And I've got some bad, for, bad news for you, ESPN's Kevin Pelton. What's that? I looked at your address. I pulled up the Redfin. I typed in your address. And guess which high school your address feeds into? Were you saying West Seattle? West Seattle High School is it's what not, address? It's not Chiselt. I looked I it up. I literally lived down the block from Chiselt. I drove past it earlier this evening. Look, I don't gerrymander the lines. Okay. okay? I don't gerrymander the school district. But what I do do is manipulate the school district. And the number two baseball program in Washington State is within your house's boundaries. So you better get ready for a 13-year-old to move (laughs) in in a couple of years because he is playing for West Seattle High School and living 
we'll see if he's living at your house. We know there's rooms open. We know there's rooms open. Socks doesn't need that much space. You're going to have a 13-year-old living with you pretty soon to manipulate school boundaries for baseball, baby. That's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about while I have a sixth grader. Thank you. If you think I actually wasn't thinking about Teoscar Hernandez on Christmas Day, you're wrong. <laughs> that was a sinister look in your eyes. You delivered that line. I uh, literally, I, I looked it up. I pulled up the Redfin, typed in there. I, I, I mean, was so, G-Self is also, also ranked, though, for what it's worth. Huh, I did, had no idea that West Seattle. Not like the, in the 20s. Kenridge can go fuck themselves, though. The, if, I, if they're not going to let me into Tahoma, I'm going to West Seattle High School. Didn't know about those baseball derbies out in West Seattle. Yeah. Who knew? Where there's white people. Uh, there was, <laughs> yes, but still not as many as the East Side. Uh, not a lot of note in the Mariners' final roster decisions. The most interesting decision they made was to demote infielder Mason McCoy, who might have made it as a backup to J.P. Crawford. Instead, the Mariners stuck with Tommy LaStella, in part because they anticipate Dylan Moore will be able to return not long into the season from the oblique strain that will put him on the IL to start things. Uh, we have new, new projections dropped. Hello. I don't know when this actually happened, but I noticed them on Fangraphs today. 83 and 79, reaching the playoffs in 41% of simulations, similar to the baseball prospectus Pakota uh, projections we mentioned that also have 83 wins on average with 31% of the time to make the playoffs. And you know who f- is feeling a lot more optimistic than that? Who's that? Vegas. Hello. Caesar's Sportsbook by William Hill has the Mariners line at 88 wins. There we go. With minus 170 odds to make they the playoffs. <laughs> which, well, a lot of Seattle folks traveling down there implies a 63% chance of making the playoffs and plus 800 odds to win the AL. A little thing that uh, has never happened in Mariners franchise history, you might note. I've got some ratings for you, fan graphs. Sometimes there's glitches in the computer. Oh, wow. Un, un, uh, uh, a statement that never comes back to haunt anyone. West Seattle, 7-0 and this year. On these rankings, they're only number uh, 13, by the way. Seems like Seattle Prep is the number one baseball school in Seattle right now. Not even Corb- Corbin Carroll's... Uh, he went Departure? To, yeah. Oh, his own no, 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 no. He didn't go there. He went to Lakeside. But... Uh, I, Luca got the MLB The Show. It came out yesterday. And I was looking... We, of course, looked through the rosters immediately, right? I think they were a little bit confused about Jared Kelenic. Maybe nobody updated them on his spring training. <laughs> they, they, they did not participate in Kelenic game. <laughs> the, th- <laughs> the shocking thing to me was, do you know who the highest rated player on the San Francisco Giants is? It should probably be obvious because I'm bringing it up. Uh, it's it's uh, Mitch. Mitch Hanniger was the number, rated, wow. number one rated player on the San Francisco Giants. And I was like, if we just brought him back. Like, what this team needs, it's kind of like a Bobby Wagner-type situation. Literally, you add one player who could play outfield NDH. I don't know. Could have cut into Hagerty's playing time. It feels like Hagerty's primarily an infield. Oh, he's right a now. shortstop now, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, can't wait for it to get started. Can't wait for M's hot takes to continue to evolve over the course of the season. There has never been a season, the Mariners season, that we have anticipated as much on the Pelton cast as this one. That is oh. a, well, undeniably accurate. Last year was already the number one before this. Uh, should we get into the rundown? Let's start with the Kraken, who played back-to-back games last week at Nashville. Uh, they dropped a shootout 2 nothing after tying 1-1 with the Predators in the opening game behind a strong goaltending performance from Joey Decord. 
With Philip Krubauer <laughs> back between the pipes on Saturday, the Kraken offense erupted in a 7-2 win, getting a pair of goals from Ely Tolvin and, and three points from Jared McCann. Kraken wrapped up the road trip with a 5-1 loss Monday at Minnesota despite outshooting the Wild 36-20. With nine games left in the regular season, Kraken looking unlikely to get back into the top three in the Pacific Division, but are three points up on Winnipeg for the seventh seed and comfortably in the top eight right now. They'll be home this week hosting division rivals Anaheim, Los Angeles, and Arizona before making the short trip up to Vancouver next Tuesday. Uh, we alluded to this off the top of the Sounders, snapped a 10-match road winless streak dating back to last July in a shockingly dominant fashion without three starters away on international duty last Saturday at Sporting Kansas City. They played without Nuhu, Rel Ruiz Diaz, and Alex Roldan. Without Ruiz Diaz and with Bear still unavailable due to injury, Brian Schmetzer moved Jordan Morris up top, and he responded with a career day after the Sounders went behind one nothing in the fifth minute, which definitely elicited a here-we-go-again-on-the-road from me when I saw that one. Morris equalized in the 23rd, gave the Sounders the lead in the 54th minute before scoring twice more after Sporting Kansas City was reduced to 10 men. He's the 16th player in MLS history to record a Jordan Morris, giving him seven total goals on the season, already more than halfway to his career high of 12. All four goals were assisted by Leo Chu, who made his first start of the season in impressive fashion. That's awesome. He has to do it again this year. I, fe- I can feel it coming. Can you? He had so many goals. Four is, a lot, like, four is a lot of goals for a team to score, <laughs> let alone an individual. He needs player. one more this year to cement it as yeah, a Jordan, Jordan Morris. Morris. Yeah. They did not list whether any of those 16 players were Sounders, which I assume means they weren't, and that it was the most goals in the game in fr- Sounders franchise history, too, at least MLS era. Uh, Sounders back on the road Saturday to face LA Galaxy in another national TV matchup on Fox. The Galaxy have drawn three of their first four goal first four games, including a scoreless draw Saturday at Portland, managing just a pair of goals thus far. Galaxy have missed Chicharito, who has yet to play due to a hamstring injury. Saturday would be on the edge of his early edge of his possible return, so probably won't see him, at least not in a full role. Uh, one of those two goals has come from former Sounder Kelvin <laughs> Leardam. There we go. Who should not be tied for your team's leading scorer. Ruidez should be available for selection in that one. Alex Rodan's status uncertain after he left El Salvador's game at halftime due to thigh tightness. Lorraine got the season started last week at Washington in a bit of a hard luck loss in their season opener in front of an opening day spirit record of 11,000 fans, losing with their lone, the lone goal coming from Washington's Trinity Rodman in the 54th minute. Rain attempted 16 shots in that one, albeit just a four on goal, played without Megan Rapino due to injury. Hope to see her back in the lineup soon. Uh, Rain will be back out at East again this weekend facing Gotham FC, which came from behind to beat Angel City FC 2-1 last Sunday. In their opener, the debut of new signing Kelly O'Hara. After finishing in the cellar last year when they won just four matches all season, Gotham FC already looking more formidable. A quick storm update. They're back on the rundown. Okay. The groundbreaking Monday for the new storm practice facility in the Inner Bay neighborhood across from the street from the business office where you were once employed. They still the, have offices there? They literally moved next door. Okay. They switched which of the two building sides of the building they're in. But yes, they still have those same offices. Uh, Noel Quinn and players Jewel Lloyd and Mercedes Russell were in attendance along with Sue Bird. With work already underway uh, on, in terms of construction, the storm anticipates the building opening this time next year ahead of 2024 training camp, allowing storm to move from their current home at Royal Broome Pavilion on the Seattle Pacific campus. I'm just going to throw this out there. 
Sue Bird's coming back this season. <laughs> She's not coming back. No. Prissy Allen was jokingly asking her about that. She was like, no. She's not, like, last year, even before she officially announced she was coming back, she was doing her whole off-season workout regimen. Sue Bird seems to be just living her life and enjoying life Chilling. right now. Sue Bird's staying in shape, though. She's staying in shape, but there's a difference between shape and starting WNBA point guard shape. She's not coming back. No. And let me tell you, after seeing Caitlin Clark, I feel like the Storm might not be motivated to try to win as many games as possible this season. Okay, so Caitlin Clark is a junior. That's what I wanted to ask. So she's a junior. She will have five years of eligibility due to the COVID year. And one of the trends that we are seeing in the WNBA draft this year, not necessarily yet with the very top picks, but a lot of possible first-round picks have been like, nah, I'm good. I'm going back for a fifth year. Why? I mean, first off, with NIL, like you're not giving up that much money anymore given the WNBA salaries. Your facilities, except for here in Seattle with this new practice facility, are going to be better. Your travel is better in college basketball. Like, I don't think it's a long-term problem for the WNBA because obviously these COVID years are only going to last for a few more. But, but still. Players are not in a hurry to come to the W right now. So the other, the, it, the, it is a long-term problem for the WNBA that being in fucking college is better. Getting paid zero. I mean, not zero, again, with NIL. But, but that's yes. what I'm saying. Like, literally, as a salary, being able to get media endorsements, where in the WNBA you can do both, there's a lot of problems to figure out here. There's a lot of... There's some things to unpack that people are like, yeah, I'm good. Continued room for growth. Uh, so, no, I think one thing that could play into that decision, unlike the NBA where like you find out a month before the draft what the lottery results are, in the WNBA, we do the lottery in the fall. Like the entire season, basically, you know who has the number one pick. So Explain what? The lottery is done in like November. It's before one of the big non-conference matchups. So, but Caitlin Clark is likely going back to... Caitlin Clark is not eligible for the draft this year. I'm saying... So this, you think the Storm might tank? I, I don't think it was, they would you be unhappy. You think the Storm might not be motivated to win games this year? I mean, they're, they currently have no point guards with any WNBA experience. So There's kind of a reality of the WNBA, the powers being centralized in a couple of different places also. Like, even if the Storm had landed a big free agent and kept Brianna Stewart, they still might not have been better than the Aces. It would have been a, would have been fun to say. And now that, like, the Liberty and the Aces have centralized the talent in the WNBA, the Storm have no real incentive to win, right? I mean, they do have incentive to win. Like, look, it's more fun to win. Your sure. Fans are going to be more engaged. But There is a ceiling to how far the Storm can go correct. with this roster. And you think that Caitlin Clark, after seeing her this weekend, oh. and in general, Caitlin Clark is unanimous number. She's like Wemby status. I mean, there are other good prospects. You know, one thing we don't know is whether Aaliyah Boston, who's still playing with South Carolina, is going to declare for the draft this year. She will surely be the number one pick if she does. Uh, Paige Beckers, coming back from the ACL that sidelined her this season, will be eligible in 2024. So, too, will Cameron Brink from Stanford, who's considered a big It could be a, a big monster prospect. draft lottery next year, though. Yes. Okay. So. Has tanking been a problem in the WNBA yet? Uh. It was to the degree that they decided to change it to make the lottery based on two-year record instead of just one year. Oh. Which you knew who that paid off for. Who? 
Seattle Storm when they ended up with the best odds of getting Brianna Stewart based on their two years of not being any good. But so this offseason, the Storm will have one year yes. of Brianna Stewart and then one year. Yeah, so even if then they're in the lottery, they probably will have the worst odds of anyone in the lottery. Interesting. Unless it's like Chicago is another team that could fall off this year, potentially. Because of losing Vandersloot. Vandersloot and Parker. <clears throat> yeah, and Emma Miesemann, who remains unsigned. So we will continue I, to monitor sure that. I'm not sure how I feel about the two-year thing. It feels, I think the WNBA is handled a little bit more right, because it kind of incentivizes losing for longer. It does. You know what I mean? Like, Sam Hickey could have manipulated that. Oh, he, he would have loved that. Like, but... The last thing is, Caitlin Clark seemed was very excited to play in Seattle, get to play on the same court where Sue Bird got to play, as she said in the press conference. That's awesome, but it's going to come down to the draft lottery. She looked very at home in Seattle. But, very at home. Th- that might be true, but it's not like it's not a choice. The Storm don't get but to it, make that decision. What I'm telling you is it might be a choice for Caitlin Clark in 2024 based on who has the number one pick. Okay. That might influence whether she decides to go back or not. So. That's all well down the road. Uh, UW Sports, let's start with baseball, where they have officially made the rundown with a pair of thrilling wins that they took two of three against number at number seven UCLA last weekend. You're out of the Pac-12, UCLA. Goodbye. After losing on Friday, the Huskies scored three runs in the 10th after both teams were scoreless entering extra eight frames on Saturday, winning 3-0. Then on Sunday, the Huskies survived a very different wild 11-10 finish after surrendering four runs at the bottom of the 11th, of bottom of the 8th, I should say. UW also beat Portland 8-3 on, on Tuesday. This weekend, Huskies host Oregon State, which Hello. has slipped from Whoa. its perch atop the Pac-10. Wow, Stephen Kwan is mad. <laughs> uh, the Beavers come in tied for 7th in the Pac-12. Almost as mad as he's going to be and about dreams. losing on opening day in Seattle. Is that who they're playing? I had not paid any attention to who that was against. Uh, Shane Bieber's starting. Only Tristan, might, Tristan McKenzie's injured. Only might attend. You know game. about these guys, right? I remember them from last year, yeah. Yeah, Tristan McKenzie's injured. Bieber did like came on the broadcast of the Apple TV game. Am I remembering the that The Biebs did? I think so. He's starting opening day. Apparently, he has the uh, lowest strike percentage of any starter. Because <clears throat> huh. he's just so good at painting the corners and getting people to swing at stuff. Oh, like in the strike zone percentage, not yeah. cold, like actual strikes. I see. Uh, softball. Luis Castillo throws 101. So, you know, one or the other. Huskies swept number 18 <clears throat> Arizona at home in a series that featured a pair of walk-off home runs. Uh, in a game postponed midway through by rain Friday night, they won 3-1 on Saturday afternoon behind a complete game from Ruby Malin. Later Saturday, Madison Husky walked it off with a home run in a tie game in the bottom of the seventh. That's why she won Pac-12 Player of the Week. On Sunday, the Huskies won fourth, went behind 4-3 in the top of the eighth, only to set up mm-hmm. Bailey Klingler's three-run walk-off homer that ended that one. Uh, this weekend, we will figure the, whether, whether these Huskies, still ranked number nine in the country, can do it on a sunny Saturday in Tempe <laughs> as they visit Arizona State. You'd have currently tied for third in the Pac-12 at 6-3 and three with UCLA, which holds the head-to-head tiebreaker, while Arizona State's just 2-4, and four, still receiving some votes kind of in the polls. yes. Yeah, I mean, look, the Pac-12 is very good at softball. Also still playing, 
UW women's basketball has reached what they call the wow. Fab Four of the there WNIT. We go. For copyright purposes. <laughs> with a pair of home wins last weekend, both featuring dominant third quarter comebacks. First, the Huskies beat Kansas State Friday night behind 17 points apiece from Delia Daniels and Trinity Oliver. On Sunday, the Huskies won their fourth meeting of the season against rival Oregon. Oh, Pulled even 2 2, uh, winning both of the matchups at Heck. It would have been nice to have won the last one. I mean, it ultimately probably wouldn't have battered, but uh, Daniels had 14 points and 13 boards in that one, while Ella Dean came off the bench for 16 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists, career highs in both rebounds, wow. and assists for the so freshman. So do you think they could go to the big game? <laughs> the WNIT continues Wednesday night at Kansas, the first time the Huskies will head out on the road in this tournament. Uh, the Jayhawks finished seventh in a middle-heavy Big 12 at 9-9, nine and nine, four games ahead of that Kansas State team the Huskies just beat. Kansas has beaten Western Kentucky, Missouri, Nebraska, and Arkansas in the <laughs> really WNIT. Like a lot of states. <laughs> yes. All at home, all by at least nine points. A balanced scoring attack sees all five starters average at least 9.7 points per game. All right. The news less the, good. They're the king of the flyovers. Okay. Yes. The news less good for UW men's basketball. We're in a reversal. Rising sophomore guard Keon Minifield Jr. said on Twitter Tuesday that he will explore his transfer <laughs> options, but, quote, will still be considering Washington. Minifield's performance was a highlight of the UW season as he averaged 10 points and 3.1 assists per game to earn Pac-12 all-freshman honors. Cool. <laughs> what? Can we reconsider? Can, can we reconsider uh, uh, Mike Hopkins' position as head coach, the University of Washington? Like, what? What are we doing here? If Keon Menafield isn't coming back, there has to be some sort of element of. Do you remember the UW football season of 2021? Or this no, past one? the 2022 football season? I actually? do. Yeah. Oh, because a lot of those players who could have gone professional. Right. Uh, they decided to come back. They decided to come back because they wanted to play for the team and the coach. Who were already successful. Right? They won a bowl game. They did everything that they could possibly do except for the sunny Saturday in Arizona and uh, Tempe. But for this coach, a lot of the players seem to be transferring after every single fucking basketball season. I mean, I will say the transfer rate is way higher in men's basketball than it is in football. So that's a big factor in it. Literally, what could but, Keon Menefield be looking for? Oh, a bigger, better school. But to, to basically play for a better school and then also get minutes there. I mean, part of what happened here, and this is, I don't, this is a challenge of a people say the transfer portal it has nothing to do with the transfer portal it's literally just a database guys that's all it is it's not that what actually happened is they changed the rules you don't have to sit out a year when you transfer anymore and that's why more people are transferring not a goddamn portal uh so you've never been in the transfer portal clearly i, I, mean, I never have uh, spoken like a person who's never been into the portal but okay i don't know if i have eligibility remaining <laughs> So Keon Menafield Jr. was like wildly under-recruited and UW was probably the best school that recruited him. But now that he's played this well in the Pac-12, like he can go to a serious school. He can That's to, what's he happening He can go here. to a real school and play yeah. an NCAA tournament game. Yeah. Well, it's nice knowing you, Keon Menafield. But he's still considering coming back to Seattle. The door <laughs> is not closed. Dope. He's, I'm, if I'm being honest, Keon Menafield also is not that good. Like... He's fine. Is Keon Menafield a starter on a he, Final Four team? He, Absolutely not. Like he's not as good as probably Samari Bailey at UCLA, and people have not, would do not like, 
or not as concerned about Amari Bailey singular, singularly when they think about UCLA's future as people in UW are. That, that's that's the thing. Yes. is like Keon Menefield will probably go somewhere bigger and will probably be a role player there. Or not. Keon Menefield might even be back in Seattle eventually. But <laughs> I, like, I don't, wouldn't count on that. But there's a reality of it that like the players that UW is losing are still not that good. It's not like Keon Menefield's going to the NBA. Correct. Uh, also transferring Cole Bajima for his me? fifth and final. You didn't read that in the notes yet. For his fifth and final year of eligibility, the Linden native played three years after transferring from Michigan, emerging as a key starter last season. And what are you doing, Cole? Eight point eight points and four point two rebounds per game with thirty six percent three point shooting, with forty nine Bajima and thirty five Metafield were first and second on the Huskies and made three-pointers last season, which is totally fine because it's not like a lack of three-point shooting. It was a major issue for the Huskies already before they lost their two leading three-point shooters. What do you think you're doing, Cole? Like, really, where do you think you're going? If he transfers to Gonzaga, I'm just going to be, I swear to God, it's done. It's done for me and Cole Bashma. <laughs> Players should transfer wherever, wherever they find satisfaction. Cole Bashma can transfer to any other school. I, You'd rather be transferred to Oregon? I don't care. Literally, there. I I don't know if Gonzaga's looking for a like twenty four year old <laughs> average shooting guard or whatever. But like, they, they probably can aim a little higher in the transfer portal. What again? What is Cole Bajima looking for here? I think he probably wants to play in an NCAA tournament game. I get that, but like, are there schools that he's going to have minutes with who are confidently in the NCAA tournament? Sure. Who? I think a lot of schools need teams need shooting. We need shooting. Also, like you are aware of, like you saw that during the NCAA tournament, like Eric Stevenson is West Virginia's like star player. He's pretty solid. He suddenly, like I kept saying, his free throw percentages are good. Eventually, he's going to make some threes, and finally, it happened as a senior. Right up until I picked West Virginia in the NCAA <laughs> tournament, and he's stuck in that camp. Did he? Yeah, Emmett Matthews Jr. was also starting for West Virginia. Obviously, as a tournament team. I feel like at some point we have to look around and accept that maybe the coaching is a problem. I, I think everyone's accepted that. The question is whether it's a, pro, a, a $3 million problem or not. It's just, it's literally wasting our fucking time. That's it. Everybody knows where this is heading after next season. There, like, there's a reality in, I'm sure, within the UW Athletic Department that gets where we're going here, especially with these transfers. But like, I mean, it's one of the things I've been saying all season And like, I, I'm all in favor of loosening transfer restrictions. I will say it just kind of sucks as a fan because before, if you had like two good freshman guards, you'd be like, okay, this is the future. These guys are going to be a part of the team for four years. And now you're like, Hey, what, wonder what school they, they're going to end up transferring to. I think the thing that sucks as a fan is having a coach like Mike Hopkins, who is but not— But I think it's less fun even if you're a successful team, if the team is different players every year. Because part of the fun of college basketball was seeing guys develop over the course of your career, of seeing Will Conroy go from being a walk-on to a starting point guard to you know a longtime professional who played in the NBA. Like that, That's fun. Can we, can we take it back to the old school? Because I'm so cool. Old fool who's so cool. Why do we even watch college basketball? Oh, wow. What a great question. Literally, what do we get out of it? 
the, a lot of 47, 45 Elite Eight games. I'm just like, I mean, the reality is I don't watch that much college basketball. The style of playing women's college basketball is so much more fun. Maybe let's watch that. I, I mean, look, we've got a team we're excited about. We watch it in the final Fab. What is the thing in the, the fab, uh, fab Four? Fab Four. <laughs> fab Four. You the Beatles, the Beatles didn't trademark that. Has been uninspiring for five years now. When was the last time that we actually cared about a UW men's basketball season? Uh, they made the tournament in 19, so it's only been four years. Four years. But it feels like five. <laughs> it's been a long four years. And nothing is going to change. That's it. Yep. Cool. Well, you know where things are going to change. Hello. With the Seattle Seahawks defense. With the return of Bobby Wagner is broken on Saturday by Quandre Diggs. I love Quandre Diggs. Diggs on Twitter. I don't even care what his cap hit is. With Adam Schefter following up with the detail that's a one-year, $7 million deal for Wagner. The Seahawks are going to fit that under the cap is shrug emoji. That was obviously my reason for skepticism on this podcast a week ago. But I'll tell you how they're going to fit it under the cap right here. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, It does not seem based on Pete Carroll's comments at the NFL League meetings on Tuesday about playing Julian Love with Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs that releasing Adams is a way to create that gap. Is that really a feasible option as far as... They would have to designate him a post-June 1st release, which would push like the bulk of his signing bonus... uh, Into next year. Into 2024. I think they still want Jamal Adams on this defense. Like They want Jamal Adams to play football. Yeah. I, I don't think any of their... They're not issues with Jamal Adams. He just got hurt. Like I mean, there are issues in terms of making the most of Jamal Adams, but I don't think that's necessarily a Jamal Adams issue. I really think when you're signing Bobby Wagner, who's an older linebacker, that the plan is to be good right now. And one of those players who's going to be, at least a hope as far as being good right now in defense, is Jamal Adams. But also, like... Julian Love is going to play some nickel, clearly. He can play, you know, Adams is going to play some big linebacker in certain settings. One of the things it sounds like is we might not see Bobby Wagner on the field nearly as often. Uh, Carroll on Tuesday highlighted the scheme differences from when Wagner left after the 2021 season, while John Schneider told reporters that the Seahawks would rotate inside linebackers uh, with Wagner, Jordan Brooks at that position, and then also Devin Bush Jr. So... That gets a rating of, uh-huh. When they see Bobby Wagner, and if Bobby Wagner is healthy, and Bobby Wagner... I under- mean, I think part of it is to manage his like load management, basically, at his age. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Exactly. Like, if Bobby Wagner is significantly better than anybody else who's on the field, you know who's going to be on the field? It's Bobby Wagner. Fair point. Right? Like, I... All of these are protections, right? Jamal Adams has had a long injury history, and so having Julian Love is a backup plan. They're not going into this defense. I think this is the thing that we should be excited about for the Seahawks this year. They're not going in saying it would be nice if they resigned Ryan Neal, but uh, I mean, I think that's inevitable. They're not going into the season being like if Jamal Adams gets injured. But they weren't screwed last year. I will say, but Ryan they didn't Neal. play Ryan Neal at first. They played Tease Tabor at first, didn't they? And not great. But they're not going to the season with just one option. They're trying to go into this offseason. And again, there's still a lot of draft picks to come with a much deeper defense. Yeah, I mean, the 
the draft picks to come is the really interesting part of it, I think. In the, terms the of the defense right now, even irrelevant of those draft picks, they still need pass rush help. But I think we can pretty confidently say that with one of the first four draft picks being very, very generous here, there will be a pass rusher. It seems likely, yeah. And the hope is that they will have an impact right away. Boye Mafe is getting a year older. There's still, they also signed Trey Jones as a. Josh Jones, by the way, it was not Tease Tabor. They, they also signed Dre Jones as an inside pass rusher. Chenna is still there. Like, there's options even before they bring somebody in. They're not just counting on this draft pick, whoever they may be. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I mean, look, if they can figure out a way to fit this all under the cap, then they've gotten massively better on defense without question. I mean, they're going to figure it out. Uh, presumably, they're not going to just, like, not be in cap compliance and not play the season. <laughs> Uh, we got the details of Love's contract, which carries a $3.9 million cap hit this year. Uh, he has $6 million guaranteed in this deal with an additional $5 million non-guaranteed base salary for 2024. That pushes the Seahawks to a, an effective cap space of minus 750000 according to Over the Cap, once accounting for the draft picks and without Wagner. Don't worry about it. And yet they are still talking They're trying to re-sign Buda Ford. We're bringing back everybody. With Pete Carroll saying we'd love to have him back. We need him to come back. Need him back. John Schneider did say, we are pretty tapped out, so we have to be very careful how we proceed. <laughs> no, we need him back. I love that. <laughs> Pete always is very different. We're not giving enough time to Bobby Wagner here, though. I, like, I know. Fuck everybody else. It doesn't matter. The best defensive player in Seahawks history left for a year, had another great year, and then is coming back in the division. Yeah. He did that. This is, I mean, you think of how bad the feelings were this time a year ago. It just, it, there's such a relief to it, right? I got the text. I was at a children's baseball game. We were prepping to go to West Seattle High School. And the when I got that text, Bobby back, I was just like, let's fucking go, right? This is a, the Seahawks are on. And <laughs> and teams have, teams have done it before and it hasn't worked out. But like, this team is going for it this season. And they are doing it this season and in the future. And it really comes back to, they had to let Bobby go for a year. They had to do it. They had to cleanse themselves. And to bring him back and anchor that defense and be the centerpiece at the position that they need the most to be able to go out and get the best player in Seahawks franchise history on defense. At a position of need. That is... I, I just kind of can't imagine a better scenario. The only thing that upsets me is that they didn't do this with Richard Sherman a few years ago, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm just so appreciative of this in the exact opposite of what I said when they released Russell Wilson. I'm so appreciative Traded. of Traded. Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Wow. For have done, like... What it all takes, Tristan. Can you not tell me that's the case? No, I mean, look. Like, this is... I don't think Russell Wilson's coming back, but... Peace. Just like hard to do at quarterback, like I wouldn't it's rule out there being a reconciliation. And I would at choose Geno over Russell Wilson at this point. Geno is a better quarterback, at least for the last year, than Russell Wilson is. Are we still talking about Bobby? Bobby Wagner is still great on the field. Yeah, and I mean, look, it's not a long-term commitment; it's a one-year deal, so there's not really any risk to it either. Also, it's like the chances of Bobby Wagner retiring as a Seahawk, starting as a Seahawk, second round draft pick, same draft as Russell Wilson, obviously, winning a Super Bowl here, going off for a year, but coming back. 
Like, the story is so perfect, and he's a little bit protected with the depth that you were talking about. But the reality is, he is going to be the leader of this defense, and he is going to feel so natural in the middle of that defense instantly. Yeah, He's familiar with everybody, basically everybody on the team, everybody in the infrastructure, the coaching staff. Like, this is going to work very, very quickly. And it'll also be helpful for Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks was not ready to be that guy last year. They yep. wanted to elevate the, you know, the Seattle times when they were showing they were like next up, it was Daryl Taylor and it was Jordan Brooks, two players who did not have great seasons. Yep. And Bobby is there. He can help usher in that, that crew. And it's the biggest position of need. When you look at that defense again, I think we should be approaching this defense as can they be around number 10 in the league? Absolutely, they can at this point. That would be quite good. I mean, if you pair that with last season's offense, that's a legitimate contender. Can the offense and the defense, we're going pre-draft, before having four, f- five picks in the top 100? Four picks in the top one. Uh, it must be five in the top 100 because it's four in the top, you know, whatever, 16. two rounds. Before having five picks in the top 100, we are already talking on this team as having a chance. And again, you look around that NFC West. A lot of NFC contenders have lost a lot of players. The NFC does not look great next year. I think the Seahawks, I don't know what the Vegas odds are. I think they should be legitimate contenders for the NFC. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I mean, I think people are truly quite excited about the Cowboys. <sighs> people like their their offseason. Uh, I know what they didn't do this offseason. What's that? Sign Bobby Wagner? Sign Bobby Wagner. Would have helped. They franchised our running back. Uh, the Seahawks are still plus 2,200 to win the NFC. San Francisco plus 320. Philadelphia plus 340. Dallas plus 650. Then New Orleans at plus 1,400. What? Minnesota at plus 1,600. The Giants at plus 1,600. Green Bay and Chicago are also plus 2,200. And are the LA Rams like what? The the dog. I'm hold on. I'm gonna. The Rams are like borderline. Hold on. Hold on. Caitlin Clark. I just bought a flight to Vegas. <laughs> are you kidding me? Uh, at least they correctly have the Cardinals at eight thousand two one two one. To, uh, to me, the the Packers and the that's a huge bet on Jordan Love. That's a very large bet on Jordan Love. I didn't actually book a flight to Vegas. <laughs> You did put some flights to Vegas in our chat. Today, I'll though. be there by the time by the time it's July and I've booked that flight to Vegas. The Seahawks are not going to be with the same odds for the Super Bowl as the Packers and the Bears. Just being straight up. Well, I feel like one question that could influence that is what the Seahawks do with their number one pick this year, and whether that player might be a quarterback. Which brings us to this week's listener email. You didn't even read through the notes enough to see this was coming. I saw from, it from friend of the pod Zach Jabal. <laughs> I, just, I knew it was from Zach, too. I and just feel it. The Seahawks and drafting a quarterback. I have to say that I pretty strongly disagree with you both, Tristan more so, that the moves the Seahawks have made do anything to preclude them from taking a quarterback. And in fact, I think they'd argue they make it all the more likely that they do so. The first point is one that Kevin mentioned, which is that they have minimal commitments to Geno past 2023. If you think about the three broad types of outcomes for Geno this coming season, all of them allow the Seahawks to move on fairly easily. If he's really bad, then they can just cut him after the season without a massive cap hit. 
If he's okay-ish, they could choose to do the same or might well be able to find a trade partner. If he's as good as he was last year, even better, then they can either retain him or trade him for even more value. It's not really worth talking about Drew Locke here, but as you noted, he's not even guaranteed his base salary yet. The fact that the Seahawks have pushed a fair bit of money into future years is the other big argument that they'll look to lower their cap commitment at certain positions in future years. Safety is by far the most obvious one, and I would expect at least one, if not both, of Adams and Diggs to be cut after 2023, possibly before in Adams' case. But if quarterback is another area where a reduction could easily be achieved with a rookie, maybe not over the 2023 numbers, but over 2024 and beyond. Setting all of that aside, the other reason I think it's fairly likely the Seahawks take a quarterback is what Pete and John have said over fairly and over. Fairly likely. Yeah. That's They're, pretty pretty strong. They've basically never had this opportunity. I think given the concerns around Jalen Carter and their previous experience with Malik McDowell, he's very unlikely to be their pick, at least at number five. And with all due respect to Tristan, I think it's pretty postre- preposterous to suggest that the Seahawks is presently constituted don't need more superstars. The 49ers had four first-team all-pro players. Did I say they more superstars? You did kind of say that. When? Last week. Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, uh, Fred Warner, and Tal- when they ja- Talanoa Jackson Hufanga. Smith and Yigba, they'll have their superstar. Well, I don't know if he's going to make it to 20. A second-team All-Pro in George Kittle, and another guy who's first-team All-Pro in 2021, Debo Samuel. I'm the same the Seahawks have perfect roster for the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> the Seahawks have... Jason Myers. I think the only scenario where trading down makes some sense to me is if the Seahawks don't believe that one of the or more of the top four QBs, and given that they are well positioned in 2023, they can afford to take a chance on Richardson and Levis or Levis in a way that many other teams can't. I think the way the offseason has gone has only served to deepen my belief that the single most wow. unlikely outcome for them is that they pick a quarterback. Just my two cents. Zach, I'm so excited that you're coming to Pelton Cast Live April 21st at Peltown Yacht Club. Honestly, like I'm I'm just so ready for that night. They told us we could not drink them out of Rainier Tall Boys, and I said challenge accepted. But wait, did they actually say that? He, basically, okay. They were like, "We're good." S- since we have last been there, they had especially bring in Rainier Tall Boys for us the last Beltoncast Live at Belltown Yacht Club, and the challenge was met by the listener. 120 Rainier Tall Boys. This time they were like, "We've got endless." But it was the, it was the perfect number last time because they that, were that Beltoncast Live wasn't sold out. Five weeks in advance. But they were drinking, like, la- what I'm saying is last Pelton Cast Live, spring 2022, we ran out midway through was, the show. Honestly, They like, were not ready for the challenge. There's a reason we're back at Pelton Yacht Club. I'm, but, I'm excited about Pelton Yacht Club. But, it's going to be great, I can't wait. But, the thing that I'm most excited to talk about at Pelton Yacht Club, it's not Seattle's Best Donuts, <laughs> right? You will mention Seattle's best donut. It's not talking taco time with all four talking taco time co-hosts, right? It is talking with the Ringers draft guru Danny Kelly as he FaceTimes Mina uh, <laughs> about quarterbacks because I think that you is... know what it will still probably be a better experience for Mina than being on Falcons live from home. <laughs> Wowie zowie! Uh, I think that. Talking about quarterbacks is going to be the most exciting part of this because the reality is I want them to draft a quarterback not named Will Levis more than anything. I still think when I see them taking selfies with these quarterbacks, are we familiar with mystery? Are we familiar with the term peacocking? <laughs> the Seahawks, look, I've, I, I did not really about, think we were going to have a reference to the pickup artist. I feel like this, the, I the pickup about, artist has been retroactively canceled, hasn't it? Has he? I feel like it has. The reference is not. Okay. But 
I have been. Oh, I, but you know what other reference has not been canceled? What's that? So I recently rewatched the first episode of Ted Lasso. I'm going to go back through the entire series. And it's not a selfie. It's an ussy. As Zach Whitman says on that very first episode, young punk Zach Whitman. <laughs> what? There's a kid in Ted Lasso. He looks like Zach. Okay. He looks like it's, not, it's an ussy. The, there's a, the Seahawks are aware that people see their social media. <laughs> I, I think they get how it works. Yes, even Pink Carroll at his age. So, but the Seahawks have made a bigger display of meeting with every single quarterback draft pick than any other team in the NFL. I, yeah. I, I assume. I mean, I'm not following the social media accounts of the Colts or the Panthers or whatever. You'd think someone else who is following those would have pointed out that the Seahawks weren't the only ones doing it. But the Seahawks are making everybody aware. And if you really were, we understand how the Seahawks operate. The Seahawks love to be mysterious. There's, they are, they are a team that is not like, Pete Carroll doesn't want to tell you what he's going to do. Pete Carroll deeply does not want to tell you what he's going to do. And so if Pete Carroll is telling every single person in the entire, that's how I read these. That's all I'm saying is how I read these posts is Pete Carroll being very, very public about posting with a lot of quarterbacks to me means trade for the fifth pick in the draft. We want to trade it desperately. We will draft. Oh, we'll draft or, Will Levis. Or we want you to trade for the fourth pick in the draft so that a quarterback goes there and we can get the best defensive player. I think I think they that's, would really like Will That's Anderson. the scenario. I I, again, I would be so... like. I mean, I mean you have there's, to... There's a couple of quarterbacks that they've taken selfies with that they have no chance of drafting. Yeah. So... It's kind of weird. It, like, could the, if the Seahawks could draft C.J. Stroud, would I be excited about that? Of course I'd be excited about that. If the Seahawks could draft probably Bryce Young, I would be excited about that as well. We have still, as of yet, not gotten a selfie with Anthony Richardson. Well, that's Thursday is their pro day. That's coming, right? Yeah. We're just waiting on the Hernan Hooker <laughs> selfie, right? But, like, again, my knowledge of the Seahawks and how they operate tells me that they are not drafting a quarterback with this pick. Again, I would prefer that they did. If I could, if I could drop an ideal draft, I mean, look, if Will Anderson falls to pick five, and they could just draft him there, that'd be great. I think, I think that they are looking for. They know for a fact, C.J. Stroud is going probably number one. C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are going one and two. I think that C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson will all pretty confidently be drafted ahead of the Seahawks, and I think they wouldn't mind if somebody who has the fourth pick right now, Arizona. I think they wouldn't mind if somebody traded into that fourth pick to take a quarterback with the fourth pick and they were left with literally their pick of everybody else. Yeah. That's just to me how I read it. And I I hear all the arguments, but again, I want them to. This is not a, a what I want to have happen. If there was a way, I think Anthony Richardson kind of played himself out of Seahawks territory, or at least he... Uh, You don't think so? I just don't think the combine had that much of a factor in it. I think he combined himself out of Seahawks territory. I think that teams realizing that they need a quarterback is what causes quarterbacks to rise, not the combine. Possibly. Uh, what do you think about that? So I think that the most persuasive part of that argument to me, and I didn't necessarily it's, say it's that I think... Selfies it, with every single person in the organization and not, the quarterback. Not your argument. Oh, Zach's, Zach's argument. argument. I, first off, There's I don't know parts of my argument that were persuasive. No, I think yours is reasonable. I'll, I'll get to yours in a second. I don't think 
I ever thought that they the moves precluded them from drafting a quarterback. I think what I would say is if they expected to draft a quarterback, I don't think they would have re-signed Drew Locke. And who knows? I mean, Drew Locke is... Yeah, sure. Because it's still $1.75 million in in signing bonus that you'd be stuck with if you had to cut him or trade him for a team that is currently at minus 750k <laughs> in effective cap space. And as I pointed out last week, the other argument is like, what's the way you create more cap space by trading down in the draft? But the 2024 element is big because like, look, if Geno Smith is your starting quarterback, you're, you're kind of in trouble cap-wise based on the way his contract is going to work. So... I, that element does lead me to think it's very possible that they draft a quarterback. I, I don't know. I mean, to your comment, I would say I think they will draft a quarterback somewhere. Sure, that's that's not the, the specific question we're asking. Although, like the whole like John Schneider, let's always draft a quarterback, and he never drafts a quarterback. Uh, I mean, he kind of had a franchise quarterback for about a decade. Yeah, but the so did the Green Bay Packers, and, and they the kept Packers drafting had a lot of angry quarterbacks. No, no, I'm talking about like when they drafted Mark Brunel and Matt Hasselbeck. You think and... Brett Favre was just chill with that? Yeah, I do. He drafted they drafted those guys in the sixth round. They weren't threatening his job. Sure. The point is that they were gonna develop those Brett guys. Brett Favre's like an all time dick. But okay. I mean, I'm not gonna dispute that particular element of the argument. I don't think that Brett Favre you know what I think was an element of that? I don't think Brett Favre was like super threatened about his job. Pretty fucking confident. There's a big that... difference between, again, the, the Packers drafting Mark Brunel and Matt Hasselbeck in the sixth round. And Jordan and Love. And the Seahawks yeah. going, yes, Jordan Love, or the Seahawks like going and basically taking selfies with Johnny Manziel and whoever else they were back in the day, uh, Josh Allen. They had to have communicated to Gino just a bit. They said this. that they did, yes. They were, they were just like, hey, guy. They said they did it beforehand. There was no comment about what Gino thought after they started posting all the Aussies. But the other element to your point. <laughs> We're using just Aussies. I'm Come on. It. This is not a Jordan Morris type situation. It's not a selfie. No, 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 no. We're not, letting, we're not giving Ted Lasso that much power. Sorry. Jordan Morris can have that much power. Ted Lasso cannot. <laughs> so uh, the other element of it, though, is that there's, there's multiple levels of thinking, which is the one level of thinking is like, we want you to think we're drafting a quarterback, so we're going to post about you know drafting quarterbacks. But there could also be the element of we want you to think we want you to think that we're drafting a quarterback, so you won't draft a quarterback when we actually do want to draft a quarterback. Like the the what it gets the complicated there, pretty soon. Walk that through as far as draft picks goes. So like we want Arizona like think that we're posting these because we want you to think we're drafting. We want to draft a quarterback. And then so you stay put and draft Will Anderson, and we can draft a quarterback. But, like, would Arizona be trading to the sixth pick? I don't know exactly what the scenario is. That doesn't really pass the sniff test to me. I'm just, I'm just saying that's a possibility. I think it's like, it's like when you tell a pit hitter what pitch is coming. Like Jamie Moyer does, says to Scott Hatterberg in Moneyball. Uh, in the book, not the movie. Why, do, why don't you just tell me what you want and I'll throw it? Because he's like so frustrated with their matchup. <laughs> it's like it just throws the whole thing off and throws chaos into the whole thing when you're actually transparent about your intentions because then people don't know whether you're just trying to mess with your, them or not. It might come down to which quarterbacks are there. That's also a possibility. Like you, just because they're taking a photo with every damn quarterback doesn't mean they are interested in all of them equally. How, how about we edit this? 
the C- I, I believe that the Seahawks both under, understand the value of a rookie quarterback. They probably like some of these rookie quarterbacks and don't like some of these rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. And at the same time, they're not going to just take a quarterback because he's a quarterback. And if the quarterback that they like happens to fall to them at pick five, they might take him. And if an offer that they really like and maybe includes a 2024 first-round draft pick, they will probably take that as well. It's a complicated situation, I guess is what I'm saying. Partially because of where the Seahawks ended up at pick five, they don't control their own destiny that much necessarily. If they were at three... No, with regards to quarterbacks. With regards to quarterbacks. That's what I'm saying. If they were at pick three, they would probably have the opportunity to say, we either want to draft a quarterback or a defensive player, for the most part. There are no offensive players outside of quarterbacks. That would be reasonable to take You're not at the whims of what other teams do, the way that you are at pick five, even to a degree. At pick five, they have a little less... They have more agency than they've ever had in the draft. For sure. But they have a little less agency in the draft. Two of the quarterbacks that they've taken selfies with are probably not going to be available. And it would be... It would... I would be very shocked if the Seahawks were to trade up in the draft for a quarterback. I would be surprised by it. Especially with the Geno extension. Like, that to me is too far. But, who knows? Maybe they fall in love with somebody. They have shown that if they fall in love with a player, they are happy to commit to that player. And... Even when they draft another player at the same position. Or sign another player at the same position, I should say. If they... I I think CJ Stroud is probably going number one. But... If they fall in love with Bryce Young and they know that Bryce Young is going to go number two and they could get there, maybe it's a possibility. And they're just like, we're going to have a year of Bryce Young behind Geno and that's it. But I, I think the guaranteed money for Drew Locke is, it kind of raises a question. Also, like, there's a reality of this, of like we talked about with Bobby Wagner. This team's trying to win right now. They're trying to win right now. They're trying to win in the future. If they can get a draft pick plus some players that will help them out in the present and run this back for the next year and be like, well, we'll see what's up with Gino. Maybe we draft a quarterback next year. We know that quarterbacks are out there on the market. It is a different climate for quarterbacks than it was a decade ago. Yes. I mean, that's the other thing we should probably mention real quick, even though we're, we're already over an hour and 40 minutes here, is that uh, Pete Carroll was asked about Lamar Jackson on Tuesday and said, quote, I couldn't imagine he would be available and we couldn't afford him. Now, I can certainly imagine that he would be available after the report that he requested a trade from the Ravens, not that it requires that or compels them to trade him. But is he he's not under contract to the Ravens. If he's franchised, then he's under I mean, contract to the Ravens. So, like, like they, they control where Lamar Jackson plays this season. He's transitioned. Lamar Jackson has zero say in where he plays I football this season. I thought the whole thing was kind of like, end. It was like fucking Twitter posturing. and Yeah. It, I don't know. Like, I get it from Lamar's end. But again, the Ravens have so much control in the situation. The, the trade request, it wasn't like you're fucking Kevin Durant. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's a different reality to it for Lamar Jackson. The most likely outcome is he ends up on the Ravens. I think so at this point, yeah. So, I mean, if things were different, the Seahawks didn't extend Geno, whatever, maybe there's a different world. But, like, the Ravens probably would have matched that deal anyway. I would have loved a world that the Seahawks ended up with Lamar Jackson. What if it, it was Lamar Jackson for the number five pick? Sure. Who would have done that? 
the num- the former and MV- recent MVP winner. The fairly paid recent, market value paid recent MVP winner. The whole point of the number five pick is that you have the potential to underpay someone. Not really. We've talked about this. The number five pick is not really, maybe. Not for quarterbacks. Maybe. This is still understanding that there's a fairly slim chance that the Seahawks draft a quarterback. It's funny, like, Zach's fairly likely to my fairly slim. Uh, those are the two ends of the spectrum. If the Seahawks draft Will Anderson with the number five pick, he will be appropriately paid, most likely. Yeah. I mean, that's why it should be quarterback or trade down, really, are the best options. And that's the other thing I disagree with Zach about is I, I don't disagree that the Seahawks need more star talent, but your odds of getting it are not that much higher at pick five than they are at pick 12 or whatever. Like, that's, that's the overwhelming takeaway from all of the draft studies. Is people overestimate their chances of finding they have, a star. They have two shots at finding a star player in the first round. Yes. So. Who does Danny have them? Is there a new ringer draft? I'm sure there is. Oh, he had them taking Tyree Wilson, right? I believe so. That I don't I don't I don't know. And taking him at five again feels feels too high for me. If you traded down to like nine or ten, <sighs> that would be a different story. Uh and unfortunately, Danny does not did not invoke his Seahawks fandom and have Jackson Smith and Jigba end up at twenty. Ugh. Drafted earlier, yeah. All he's right, like he's fourteen. Off, he's off the live pod. <laughs> so, who who did the Seahawks take with the second pick? Uh, I read it, but do not remember it off the top of my head. Can't seem to find it. Yeah. Huh. Oh, it was B. John Robinson. Oh, that, right. Yes, we did oh talk about that one. Oh, my God. He's really off the pod. <laughs> well, this is not necessarily what he wants the Seahawks to do. Yikes. Uh, not what he wants necessarily what he wants the Seahawks I, to do. If the Seahawks ended up in a position where they traded down, got some sort of value or whatever, and were able to draft... I mean, to me, Jackson Smith, Yeba, that is just like... If they could come out of this draft with him, I am I am good. With him and a pass rusher in the first round, like sign me up. Or whatever. It seems like I mean, Danny hasn't been picked twelve. It's a tough place to be. But you look at that Jets draft last year where they ended up uh with Garrett Wilson plus Sauce. They set themselves up for a long time. Yeah. And quarterbacks are out there. As the, as the Jets have mostly proven quarterbacks to be found. <laughs> uh, they haven't officially proven it yet. They haven't we'll come out of the darkness retreat. Just, we'll I like it though. I like that. Yeah. I like that Zach feels this way and is confident about it. Because again, it's going to be fun at Pelton Cast Live when we're talking about this. It's going to be. It's going to be a hot conversation when we're talking quarterbacks or not with I Danny mean, and Mina. <laughs> <laughs> Little to her knowledge. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>